0: Hi, my name is Theo, and you are listening to Between Two Trains. We bring you the best and brightest entrepreneurs in the North DeKalb area on the 1st and 15th of every month. Today, your co-hosts are Van Pappas and Eric Most. And now, Between Two Trains. Welcome to another Between Two Trains. My name is Van, your friendly financial planner.
1: And I'm Eric, your better business banker.
0: And today we have a very special guest. Eric, I know I say a very special guest almost every episode, but I think this is a special guest because he is doing something in Chambly that's unique. His name is Seth Watson with the Distillery of Modern Art, and we're going to find out is this... Distillery? Is this an art expi- exhibition? Uh, we're going to talk with Seth here and find out exactly what it is. As you know, Eric, we are once again still in this COVID mess and we're doing another episode from Zoom. Um, so hopefully the sound quality is great, but let's bring Seth on the show. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks having me, guys. Excited to be here. So, Seth, let's start with what exactly is the distillery of modern art?
2: It is a distillery, and it is in its own way an art piece. Um, the concept for distillery of modern art was pretty pretty simple in my mind. I attribute the um, process of spirit making to be an art form in itself. Uh, I come from the arts in general, not specifically painting, drawing uh, of that nature, but music, um, art, anything that anybody can consider art, whether it be food, drink, uh, physical, uh, even emotional art. So when I was looking for an idea um, for my next business, I really wanted to marry all the things that I've loved for a long time and put it under one roof um, and create something that the city didn't necessarily have.
0: Nice. So, start with why Shambly? Why Why bring the distillery? So you're you're going to be Shambly's first and only distillery. Why Why Shambly?
2: Correct. You know, so actually listening to a lot of um, real estate folk over the past ten years, everybody wanted to be in Midtown. Everybody was gung ho about being downtown, just being in in the mix. And of course, you saw a few distilleries pop up, and they are pretty much in town, if you will, in the midtown um, and on your way down to the downtown area. I have lived in Atlanta now 19 years, going on 20, and have lived in all the pockets of the city, whether it be in town, whether it be in East Atlanta, um, Sandy Springs, Doraville. I've lived in Brookhaven on and off now for 10 years. I love this area of town. It's not the right word here. It still has a grit to it, and it still has potential. And the people involved in modifying Shambly for the future are looking at it in a similar way I do. I think you've got great access points, whether it be from public transport, which hopefully everybody will push to be using more and more so. It's a great connection point from the suburbs. It's easy to get to from a couple different major highways. And it's an opportunity to help grow a city. Um, I live two and a half miles from the distillery, and I love the ability. If I wanted to, I'm right next to Brookhaven Marta. I can jump on this train, jump right off in Chambly and not have to drive a car, which would be fantastic.
0: So you when I thought way-
2: of tourism, get
0: no, I was just going to say, it's funny that you're saying all this because, um, you know, many episodes ago, we had Chase Mellon, who owns Contrast Love Artisan Chase. Ales, right around the corner from where your location is. And he said okay. a lot of the same things when we asked him why he chose to come to Shambly. It's a very similar answer. So uh, um, that's that's good to hear.
2: In my previous business, we did a lot of business um, with TV and film. and I love the idea of what's going on at Third Rail Studio. I love the idea of being close to um, a vibrant art community. I know Shambly has a focus in art as well, and I know that as they continue to try to grow, the idea is to put some emphasis on art. Um, and you can already see a little bit of that sort of playing out in the Shambly area. So I just really wanted a place where it wasn't overcrowded, an area we can draw people for an attraction, and since people do like to travel into town, um, I'll jump sort of over for a second here. When the law changed for how distilleries and breweries can operate, I thought more and more about drawing people in from out of town for tourism purposes. So if you can hop on a train and take yourself from the airport directly into Chambly, let's say you're only there for half a day and you wanted to visit, contrast, you wanted to visit the Distillery of Modern Art, you can then pick up some to-go orders of spirits get back on the train, get on your airplane, and go home. So the ability for people to come not only locally, within a city of like Shambly, where being local is a big deal, and especially nowadays with with COVID, people are going to be eating and drinking even more locally than they had in the past. But then you also draw on the tourism to a town that I know is focused on growing, making walkability a priority, um, with a lot of advantages of coming in from the burbs and also coming out of the city.
1: Let me ask you this, uh, um, PDK, is that a
2: consideration? um,
1: So here's a fun
2: story about PDK actually. So I love the idea of PDK. One of the first times I think it was even a major like flash for me was during Super Bowl when I noticed all the planes flying in. And so actually the first, I don't know if I get in trouble for telling the story. So I had put up a sign, Right after we purchased our um, property, I put up a sign out in the front in the old hole of the uh, real estate agent. It just said, coming soon. Distillery of Modern Art. Just wanted to get a sign up there. I was really excited about letting the community know all this coming. Sure enough, in about three days, I put it up on a Friday. In three days, I got a, um, a fine, or at least a warning that I didn't have a permit to put up this sign. And I was like, ah, I got to take it down. But I'd spent this money on a sign. I'm like what do i do with it so paying attention to pdk i went and put that sign on my roof for a week nice. just laid it out flat on the roof and sure enough i got three calls from people who had flown over on their way to pdk saw this sign they were coming in to do some work at it with amazon uh, for amazon studios at third rail and they saw this sign and i got a phone call about the about the property which was great wow. um, so it was right then where i was like yeah all right this is a good opportunity we're eventually going to um, hopefully have a uh, mural on the roof. So as you fly over it, you would see this. and might draw you in. Um, wow. So for, Google, for Google purposes, when you go ahead and Google a property, you generally always do the overhead view. So you're going to see, hopefully, this roof and this giant piece of art as well.
1: Because you would think the demographic that's flying in for the Super Bowl, flying in for the Masters, flying in for events, I mean, that's a, a demographic that could – that could uh, they probably like to drink right i mean come on
2: absolutely especially fine spirits produced locally
1: and they er and they i I think they would appreciate kind of your approach too right it's not just hey let's go to the liquor store and grab you know something it's an experience and it's a um you know i'm interested to kind of dive into uh to that aspect well you know eric
0: mentioned events and it's my understanding you have a background in event management correct that's what your so my entire
2: been? my entire professional career I've been creating experiences for others um, started a small business in 2001 sold it in 20 late 2017 and for 17 18 years we are creating anywhere from 300 to 450 events a year locally um, so I've been creating the word experiences you know as big as that word me is that's what I've been doing my whole life so I finally wanted to have a space where I can do that and not have to be bouncing around town, pulling giant trucks in and out of every venue known to man, spending the countless hours in other people's facilities, trying to make other people's stuff look good. Now I have the opportunity to create it in-house and bring those people to me.
0: Nice. Let's change gears and talk about the actual liquor the distillery so you have uh, a number of different wines that you're going to make right it's not just uh, whiskey you've got a vodka and a bourbon and a gin and you're making them all right there in that building
2: every single uh, every single spirit that we're going to be making will all be made in house you know there's a big it's pretty standard especially in the craft industry to either contract someone else to distill for you or to buy bulk whiskey from somebody else, throw it in their system for a few days, claim it's their own. I, As a creator, the last thing I want to do is take somebody else's and just say, hey, got it, cool label, it's mine now. Um, I, I don't see the need for the amount of money and time that goes into creating this type of project to just put somebody else's spirit in my bottle. So the whole goal was, if I can't do it locally, I'm not going to do it. I really wanted to be... I think I kind of love red tape. I love the challenge of somebody saying, this is impossible or it's not financially found or there's no way you're going to pull this off. That's kind of my go-to to say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm about to do. Um, so the goal is to produce all here. And the reason of course, for clear spirits, I'm, I have a huge ju- uh, gin fan, um, bigger whiskey drinkers and gin, but I really wanted to create spirits that I could do rapidly that I can create and actually put on the market sooner than later. And then ones that are going to take time. So as I'm barreling spirits to be aged, I'm also able to create something that can be put on shelves pretty quickly and people can enjoy on site.
0: I, I like the bottle. I, I looked at the bottle on your website. It's, it's a really cool looking bottle. The labels really, uh, definitely has this artsy uh, look to it. So I think you've done a good job and I'm really impressed that you're saying, Hey, we're not, It's not just about the art of the bottle, but it's about what's inside the bottle as well. So you're actually, right, you haven't opened yet, correct?
2: No, we have not. We were in the middle, we were just finishing demolition on the interior right as COVID hit. So we're just waiting now for people to get ready to come back. We're going to space it out a little bit longer. So, you know, if I'm opening a, just for for reference point, we'll be manufacturing on site, of course. We'll have a cocktail bar on site and an event space. But obviously, right now, opening a cocktail lounge in an event space isn't the best idea because uh, no one's going to come. So we are getting ready to build out the manufacturing aspect and then phase in those other two pieces as people are peeking their head out of their house and looking for for things to be able to do and see. We'll hopefully be coming online right as everybody's feeling comfortable again.
1: Well, the industry has really boomed throughout the quarantine. I mean, you hate to think that people are... Uh you know, turning to potentially vices, you know, but I think a lot of folks are really excited for just the social aspect. Right. And mm-hmm. just kind of uh, at a little bit more than just returning. I think there's some pent up demand for this stuff. So when is the, the opening, you think?
2: If we get construction started, we'd like to be open before the new year. I'd really like to bring in the holidays with an open facility. Um, it's a little bit up in the air, but that would, that's still the goal. We've pushed it off, but right now at this point, we're still looking to hopefully um, get in there by, uh, by the new year, at least be manufacturing.
0: So Okay, so that Is was that going has- to be one of my questions. You're not actually manufacturing anything on the site yet?
2: Nope. Nope. Everything is done. All of our, all of our permitting is, is where it needs to be. All of our equipment has been made and sitting and ready to go. We just need to get the construction of the physical interior built out. And we can get going. We're already licensed as a uh, distilled uh, spirits plant. We have, we have everything we need. We've been on top of it for quite some time. And I've been recipe developing for
1: two and a half years already. Um, so we're ready to just start making spirits. Is it? Is it the type of thing where I can swing by on my way home from work, you know, once you're opened and just, you know, get a bottle of my favorite, whatever it is, whether it's a, a whiskey or a rye or a gin, you know, is yeah. that, so is the, that goal, the type so
2: the of... Goal, 100%. So we will not only be selling um, via the Cocktail Lounge, but you can obviously come to retail and buy up to three bottles a person a day. Um we will also have distribution. So the goal is to be available for everything, meaning distribution down to um, uh, onsite consumption. Um, as soon as we're open, that will be the case. You should be able to come in and buy bottles. Obviously the bourbon and the rye won't be ready for a few years, but gins, uh, a corn whiskey, vodka, and a brandy will be ready almost as soon as we're able to put it in bottles.
0: So it takes a, it takes longer for the for the bourbon. You have to, to age it longer.
2: So you don't have to. A lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about whiskeys in general, especially surrounding bourbon and age statements and things like that. Um, we will be aging bourbon at least two years, and same with the rye. More than likely, we'll have a, a, a variety of releases anywhere from two to six years, depending on how you know how much we end up making. Um, but the goal will be to immediately be offsetting production days for different spirits, either be clear or, um, or brown spirits.
0: So since you won't have a bourbon right at opening, if I come into the the lounge, mm-hmm. are you going to have other non distillery of modern art spirits available? Or so no, if I, I come can't in... actually
2: sell those okay. for an event, you could have through your cater. it'll be a catering kitchen. And so any caterer that has, um, Liquor distribution and, and port licenses will certainly be allowed to bring in other spirits, beer, wine of that nature. But at the cocktail lounge, it'll just be our spirits. Gotcha. The reason we're going to launch that uh, a corn whiskey pretty quickly is so that if somebody wants a whiskey cocktail, um, corn whiskey will do. It's not going to be a bourbon cocktail. It's not going to be a rye cocktail, but it'll get that sweetness and sort of that darker color for a corn whiskey, um, to be able to have whiskey cocktails.
0: You you mentioned you're a gin guy uh, on the whiskey and bourbon range, which do you prefer?
2: If I could only drink bourbons and rye's every day all day, that's what I would drink. I like gin to mix it up, but I man, whiskey is so good.
0: All right, so so let's let's put you on the spot. What's your favorite bourbon?
2: Can we do it by price range or <laughs> whatever you like? No, like because- if you went
0: to the liquor store right now, what would you pick up?
2: Oh that's a great question.
0: I'm personally a uh, Woodford Reserve man. I don't know if you like Wood, Woodford Reserve.
2: Love Woodford. I've been drinking a lot of Noah's Mill lately. I believe truthfully, that most bourbon should be under 50 bucks. It should be accessible and it shouldn't be hard to find. I certainly get the rarity of smaller runs, people yeah, chasing Yeah, the, the Pappy Tate. Bottles.
0: I mean, is Pappy so, Tate really worth the price?
2: I'll give you a quick story. So, when 2 years and change ago, I had a bunch of blind taste tests and the goal is to see most consumers which i consider myself an everyday an average consumer i'm I, as much as i want to pretend that i know so much about whiskeys i'd like to drink like anybody else does and i don't think my palate's any better than anybody else. i think i can pick nuance out but i'm, a, I'm an average drinker meaning I, I don't need the you know the overly expensive or the pappy bottles. so what i did is generally in a tasting you don't want more than five or six Uh, different whiskeys because it might burn someone's palate, but I had 10. The goal was just to run through a range of prices um, and quality to see how people actually judge the spirit blindly. No labels, no influence, no information, simple scoring card. And we ran the gamut of bottles from 12 bucks all the way into into a Pappy, a very old Pappy. And not one time was Pappy put on top or even ranked in the top three as best. You had things like Old Granddad, Old Forester,
0: old even some mixers. Came to the top of the list,
2: almost always scored. Same uh, with Old Granddad uh, would score o- almost always in top five, which was crazy. Happy would hit five, but never really top three ever. And so, what it proved, and this happened multiple occasions, what it proved is obviously marketing's a big deal, especially for whiskey. You can say the same about wine. People buy with their eyes first, so you need to get them in. They need to think that the label's cool, interesting, um, and inviting. And if you've got that cool, they'll buy that first bottle, but can you sell the second bottle? And for me, I want to be able to put out affordable spirits that people go looking for, but they can afford them and they're not afraid to drink them. Meaning it's not something they buy just to put on a shelf to show their friends. That's all well and good, but that's one bottle someone buys every few years versus someone who's going to make an everyday drink with one of our spirits that they don't feel. it needs to be just a special occasion because so, what we're trying to do is celebrate all occasions.
0: So, what does that price point look like? Like, if so i far whiskey forty dollars range. Forty dollars range, okay.
2: Yep, yeah. The the vodkas and gins, twenty five and under.
1: The rye and the bourbon around forty to forty four dollars, give or take. Now, the Seth, the alcohol laws are very interesting. I think the common co- consumer isn't aware. From a business standpoint. How much of a barrier to entry, you know, the whole distribution, and and can you kind of explain how that works and explain whether it's a barrier to entry and and just your views on it?
2: Sure. So a lot of people, the distribution game is probably one of the oldest rackets, you know, going back pre prohibition It's a racket. I mean, it's a racket. Not that there's not great people in distribution, but they're always going to get their money one way or another. So you've got a lot of states with a lot of different regulations. And in our state, you have to sell the district. I'll I'll make a statement and then I'll caveat it. You have to sell through distribution to get it in the restaurants and bars and into the liquor stores. We cannot sell direct to any of these locations. Some states buy a case of uh, vodka and I had a relationship with a bar up the street. I could run it over there and sell them that case of liquor. No problem. State of Georgia is a three tier system. So I make it, I sell it to the distribution, distribution then kicks it out to everybody else. In late twenty 17, I think it's 2017, Senate Bill 85 came out, which changed Georgia law regarding alcohol, which was great. What it said was now you guys can self distribute from your location in small quantities, meaning then you can consume on premise. So you can now, in the past, you'd have to buy, let's say, a $20 uh, tour ticket from somebody, yeah. come in, and you would see the facility, whether it's a brewery or a distillery, you would be able to stay and have a couple ounces as a sample. Uh, You couldn't leave with anything and you couldn't stay and buy another, which just is very detrimental for a small producer trying to get their products out and about. Um, So when that Senate bill changed, it basically said now people can come consume on your site. You can stay. That's why a cocktail lounge now will work. You can come and drink anything we make on site. We don't make it. You can't you can't purchase it at our bar. But if we made it, we can sell, which is great. That also said now you can leave with X amount per day, per person. Uh, I use the Sweetwater model uh, a lot when I talk to people about this. So just like Sweetwater, you used to go for a tour, regardless how big their facility was, you paid for that tour, which came with a few drinks, but you couldn't leave. So if you're visiting from out of town, you then have to go hunt down some retailer that sold that product for you to ever get it. You couldn't just leave with that product. So when that changed, that meant that there are a lot of breweries now that don't even have distribution deals. They hope that you just come to their site, pick up beer when you need their beer, which is great for them.
1: Was that change in that bill, what caused you to enter the market with the distillery?
2: So when I, it happened almost simultaneously. When I first looked into it, I said, there's not many distilleries. There were two and a half distilleries. I like to say half. There were two and a half distilleries. Not every, they weren't making all their own products, if at all. And they were in weird parts of town that I don't know why they thought they'd be there. When I was looking at Chamblee, the first thing I did was spend time with the city council, really trying to get to know the people and really understand what their goal was for the future. Um, And from a real estate perspective, I said, no matter what, if I go and set up shop in Chamblee and I'm only allowed to uh, work through distribution, then I'll have a a big enough place where I can just keep producing, producing, producing and push it into the market. But I would still want to have events there. Um, When that bill changed, it gave me a totally other revenue stream to say, I'm going to be able to allow people to come in now and drink on site and then open the retail shop for them to leave with bottles. So that, it helped modify my business plan. But it was as I was um, planning out financially how this situation would work. At first I thought, I'm gonna open an event space, just a venue and make whiskey. Of course we mapped that out financially and there was no chance because all my money would be sitting on a shelf and not being able to do anything with it for years. So events would not cover the production of whiskey. It got much bigger once we were able to sell. From the location, because that did give us the opportunity. To now, say we're going to open a bar. Now we can showcase all of our spirits on hand. Give people the great opportunity to not only learn about the manufacturing, um, op- the manufacturing facility, but now be able to see what we just made. Now we're pouring it into a cool cocktail for you.
1: Well, I'm,
0: so I'm the a little
2: education's a big part.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm a little biased. So you mentioned the location. We haven't even said where you're located yet. Um, for those that know where the post office is on Broad Street, if you go down Irvindale there, you're back on, on, behind there, where the new town center hopefully is going to start shovels in the dirt here uh, by the fall. So what a great location. When that comes up, you're going to have you know an office building, retail space, 300 apartments all right in your back door. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you picked a really great location.
2: Wow. That is, I think the, sorry, I think the plan for me was looking at the future and knowing those projects, spending time in the city, knowing what everybody was trying to do moving forward. I wanted to be helpful and a catalyst for not only that development, but other people coming into town saying, okay, well, here's a cool project coming in. Here's a needed project that's bringing the people in and then let's add more to it. So it was definitely strategic to say, or at least banking on the fact that this town center was going to be there and it was going to draw more more people. Yeah. Um, I think the influx of people moving there, the change in household incomes, and the amount of um, vibrancy that the city is trying to draw is.
0: I think healthy. so, and you know. Uh- Nine years ago, there was really only one restaurant in downtown Chambly. That was Vintage Pizza. And now you go up and down Peachtree Road. You've got, you know, all kinds of restaurants and bars. You've got hop sticks. You've got contrast R's and ales. So, you know, now there's more of a walkability to, for people to say, hey, let's go grab something to eat. Maybe beforehand we'll go stop at the distillery and get, grab ourselves a drink, you know, a pre-dinner cocktail. Afterwards, we might stop at the Frosty Caboose and get ourselves some ice cream. I mean, it's it's really going to be a whole way of life in downtown Chamblee here. Well, well,
1: look at look at Crog Street, you know, and you know, absolutely. my wife and I will my wife and I will hop on MARTA, go down, spend a day, have fun, you know, and um, it's it's really nice to see the city come together like that and have you know, folks. I will tell you what, Van, I don't know about you, but I'm. I'm kind of drooling right now thinking I, I, about winter, winter t- 2020
0: here. I know. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> he said towards the end of the year, I was hoping he'd say we'd be open here in a month. Um, come on,
1: football <laughs> season, Seth. Get this thing open. Man,
0: <laughs> tell me about it. As soon as COVID hit, I was like, oh, come on. I we know, were so system. close
2: to just breaking ground.
0: Do you, does do you, the bottle do you, say
1: Shambly on it? Does the bottle say Shambly on it? It does not. Well, hold on. Not so even down in the bad. fine
0: print, uh, manufactured in Shambly, Georgia. So
1: it will have to
2: absolutely say that it's not on the front label, but it will absolutely it'll say bottled and distilled by
1: Chambly, the- <laughs> Georgia. That's yeah. all that. That's yeah. all that matters. That's all
0: that matters. That, yeah. that, that yeah.
1: fires me up. I'm telling you, like this is going to be Christmas gifts, birthday gifts. Check out where I live, people. Yeah.
2: Shambly <laughs> so the- as a whole. So I've spent a lot of time. You know, I think most of the time I've spent having drinks with people in Chambly. Whether it's taking meetings in the area and drawing attention to the area, it's also meeting other business owners because my entire life has been about collaboration and meeting other business. You mentioned um, uh, Contrast, who so I've spent some time with with them, and Andy over at um, Hopsticks. I love those guys. Getting to meet them, spend time in, with them, spend money by them, trying to really just be a part of the community, and also spending time with uh, any of the city councilors and and the mayor. Spending time with any of these folks trying to be a part of what the community is trying to do is sort of what gets me out of bed as well. I love the collaboration that can take place. And if we have great beer, theoretically, I I just was talking with somebody about a potential winery that wants to make their way to uh, Chambly as well. And having great distilled spirits, they've got an epicenter of some really cool stuff and great food already. Yeah. Uh, So it feels good to be a part of that.
0: Well, we are up to our break. We need to take a short commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Ace Hardware. And when we come back, we'll play our ever-favorite game, Can You Ace It?, uh, where Eric's gonna ask you three questions, give you answers to choose from. And if you can get two of the three of these questions correctly, we have an ACE gift card uh, presented from Brian Fisk, the owner of the Chambly ACE hardware, which you may need during the construction here. So uh, we'll, that be,
2: hardware,
0: yeah, we'll be back right after the break.
2: If you recently got divorced, you may be wondering how to pick up all of the financial pieces. Is it time to make a new budget, new goals, and get a new game plan with your investments? What about the best way to save money on your taxes? Take control of your money future. Go to oxygenfinancial.net to schedule a complimentary meeting today. Go to OxygenFinancial.net to get started right now. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services. Member of FINRA, SIPC. Advisory Services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, an affiliate of Kestra Investment Services. Oxygen is not affiliated with
1: Kestra.
0: Welcome back to Between Two Trains. We come to you on the 1st and the 15th of every month. Today, we're talking with Seth Watson of the Distillery of Modern Art. And Eric, uh, why don't you take us away? So Seth, he's going to ask you three questions and we know you own a distillery, but what we're going to see is how much you know about spirits.
1: All right. Some of uh, some, a, some bit of a history lesson here. Which famous president owned a distillery? Either A, Washington. George Washington, B, Donald Trump, or C, Theodore Roosevelt?
0: A, Washington. Ding ding ding! Wow. You are correct. He, he knew that before you even, said. He even. He didn't even need the
1: multiple. He didn't need the
0: three questions, so you are correct. George, I'm owned, he owned uh, a commercial distillery. It was actually uh, designed because he had a farm and he had the leftover stuff, and he wanted to, He was a very efficient man, and um, actually, at the time, it was one of the largest distilleries in America. It uh, measured. 75 feet by 30 feet, which is only 2,200 square feet, which to me doesn't sound like it's very big. So, how how big is your space? 15,000 square feet. 15,000. So, could you imagine the one of the largest distilleries in America at the time was only 2,200 square feet? So, I don't know better there was way to get rid of of distancing.
1: Not,
0: no, not at all. <laughs> all right, so you're one for one. Let's go for two, Eric. All
1: right, question number two: Vodka can be made from which of these ingredients a potatoes b barley c rye d corn e grapes or f all the above all the above
0: ding 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 you are correct i had no idea when we were researching this that grapes you can you can use grapes to make vodka you can make vodka at anything So your vodka, what are you using to make your vodka?
2: Um, So we're playing with a number of uh, different components, but um, we're probably going to try to distill almost all of the above, certainly corn and probably mess with potato. Um, There's been a lot of success with just sugarcane and things like that. But I I, I would say that the recipe that we've worked on um, most frequently it's very similar to a tito's um
0: my wife loves tito's okay she's going to be there every friday night if that's the case
1: perfect, <laughs> perfect. And that's for and that's corn based right yeah it's a yellow corn um the way i think
2: about it is we're going to probably play with some experimental corns uh more heirloom corns that are that's growing in the state when we play with some of our whiskeys some of our smaller releases so I'd rather use a yellow corn and try to do two different spirits with the same grain. Um, all right. So we got double corns used for Tito's.
0: So we got two of three. Let's see if you can get the full sweep here and be one of the elite few that went gets all three in the can you ace it game?
1: That, that actually aces it here. That all actually
0: right. Aces it. Question
1: number three, which of these did the U S government place as an excise tax on whiskey? Uh, Hang on here. Maybe I've read the question wrong. Which of these did the U.S. <laughs> government place on an excise tax on whiskey? Um, Alexander Hamilton to pay for the Revolutionary War debts. President Martin Van Buren to pay for whiskey and his campaign rallies. Or on January 1920 for prohibition.
2: So it's happened many times and whiskey has built most of this country. Hamilton was the initiator um, was the initiator. So I'm going to, I think it's a, but really everybody at some point has either taxed um, with you are, in one way or another.
0: You are correct. A is the correct answer. Oh, <laughs> Eric breaks out the bell. I like it. But Wait, is paid For
2: roads, schools, governments, campaigns, presidencies.
0: Yeah. There's, there's actually been three major events that have occurred. Obviously the one you picked there, Alexander Hamilton, um, George Washington had to pay for the Revolutionary War debts, and Hamilton was the Treasury Secretary, so they implemented that. And then also Thomas Jefferson uh, imposed an excise tax. Uh, well, actually, remember, they got rid of the excise tax for the Revolutionary War because of the Great Whiskey Rebellion. Most people Happened don't more know. than
2: once.
0: Yeah. More than once. And so Thomas Jefferson passed the tax uh, to pay for the War of 1812, and then Lincoln also used it to help pay for the Civil War. So,
2: I'm pretty sure that's how Taft got elected as well.
0: Oh, I'm sure, Taft. But to, it's my understanding, <laughs> Taft was not a big whiskey drinker. He used it to propel his political career, but uh, did not actually partake the way some of our other presidents say, uh you know George Bush <laughs> might have <laughs> might have partaked in whiskey.
1: Well Taft was big. He just may not have been a drinker.
0: He was a big yeah. man from what I, know, I wonder
1: I wonder in the whiskey rebellion if they were marching in a straight line. I
0: don't know. <laughs> oh <laughs> well, <laughs> well Seth, uh, after we get off the line you can send me your address and I'll get you the The gift card from Brian Fisk at the Ace Hardware. What a great local business Brian has created during this social distancing. He's done a great job of making sure that you could get all your stuff from Ace Hardware. And we thank him for being one of our sponsors of the show. So, um, you know, we're pretty much at the end, but... Is there any last things that you want our audience to know about what you're trying to do there at the distillery?
2: Sure, I'll briefly sum it up. So when this concept started, what I really wanted to do was draw in artists in general, the community that's sort of underserved, not only in Chamblee, but in Atlanta. And what we did to even design our, our bottles, I commissioned seven different local artists, whether they were big names or just starting out out of, um, out of college, I wanted them to design an interior of our label, an abstract piece of artwork that represented the spirit in the bottle. And the goal for that was to be able to have local artistry on the interior of this bottle that people could see because the design of this thing was meant to be looked at from all angles and then saved, but also to highlight these local artists. So by the time we're open, their artwork will be on display and we'll be allowing for them to do shows free of charge to bring people in. So what I really want to do is have a place where people want to take a date, come see really cool stuff, and really enjoy a good story about uh, some, some local history that's about to be born. Um, so I, I want people to see this as a non-pretentious and very subjective opportunity to enjoy spirits and art in the same. So just like, I hate to bring Pappy in again, but the way people view art is the same way people view spirits. Some may think something is fantastic, And others may think it's trash. But our goal is to try to appeal to people so that they gain their own insight on what spirit should be, what a local place can be, and how art can really influence uh, their everyday.
0: Well, I I have to say, I'm really looking forward to it. We greatly appreciate you being part of our community. And uh, trust me, you're going to have a line once you are ready to open. Um, So thank you again for coming on the show. Eric, any parting words from Chase Bank? What's going on in the banking world these days? Uh, Well,
1: um, the shockwave for PPP, the forgiveness portion, is kind of front and center now. Um, Economy seems, as states start to open up, uh, it seems to be rebounding um, with some positive indicators, which is a good sign you know and you know all my clients in the small business segment they're very optimistic which is also I think a very good sign um, and we're seeing that both locally in atlanta uh, but also nationally the optimism in the small business you know environment and so i think that bodes well so i think the future is is bright and i think that once things open up i will be one of the people in line at sus distillery when it, when it is opened
0: nice well, thanks again, guys, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another great episode of Between Two Trains.